Straw Hut Media. He's just 23 years old, but already Mitchell Coombs is making waves in radio, podcasting, and new media. You may have seen some of his viral videos. The tour of his hometown of Bogan Gate, the rant about being harassed on a bus in Sydney for having painted toenails, or maybe when he accidentally got a blowout after a haircut and showed off his beautiful bouncy locks. It's a bright day for young, talented, queer personalities. Today, we're talking to Mitchell from all the way across the world about sheep farming, autism, podcasting, and so much more. I'm Levi Chambers, and this is Pride. I've only just hit record, so from now on is where they're going to hear my voice. Amazing. So first, could you introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Mitchell Coombs. I'm Australian. Um, I work in media. I host a podcast. Um, I live in Sydney. I don't really know what else to say. What would you say? Mitchell started a podcast from his dorm room with two friends in November 2016. It was called Not My Cup of Tea and was later picked up by the local radio station. Not My Cup of Tea is in the archive now. Definitely still go listen, but the pod he's currently co-hosting is brand new. It's called Is It Just Me? And I co-host it with another guy also called Mitch. So if you just search couple of Mitches, one word, the same way that you would spell couple of bitches, um... If you search couple of Mitch's one word, you'll find the podcast called Is It Just Me? Um, I would say that it's observational It's observational comedy style. It's, um, it's kind of got the same essence of a radio show in Australia because we both listen to radio, work in radio and enjoy radio. So I guess it's this kind of a given that we'll be influenced by that kind of style of um, presenting. But yeah, radio in Australia is very different. What, like what's, what's radio like over there in LA? You know, I would say in some ways it's similar because I've, I mean, I don't, I don't listen to your radio obviously, but I see on your mm. Instagram. So in some ways talk radio, especially in the mornings is similar. I think, I think oh, so. Okay. Yeah. I've just, I've just been told by people that live overseas that Australian radio is far more like I don't even know. Like, I do think it's more like personality driven. Yes, I do think it's more like that. Yes, like people in Australia, they they aren't afraid to stuff up on air. Whereas I think overseas radio shows put a lot of emphasis on being really slick and perfect. Whereas here, we're just like whatever, super relaxed, chilled out, whatever. That makes it fun, though. Okay, so when did you start the podcast? Um, Well, we've been working on it since June actually. Um, I used to host a podcast called Not My Cup of Tea. And that was the weirdest experience because we just said, me and my friend Talisha at the time, we were just like, oh, we should start a podcast and call it Not My Cup of Tea. The next day we just started recording and we just made it up as we went along. But this one, Is It Just Me? We put a lot more thought and preparation into it. So we started recording things around June and we had a basic idea and like demos done. And it wasn't until... I think it was late September that we were able to launch, I think. So it's only been around for a little bit of – actually, I think it was early October that we eventually launched. So we've only been around for a month now. But, um, yeah, we're pretty chuffed. We got 10,000 listens in that first month. So, yeah, 
we're pretty happy. It's so far so good. Before his dive into podcast and radio producing, Mitchell was always a self-described media nerd. He spent his formative years listening to The Kyle and Jackie O Show. Like, religiously. I loved it. Um, I now work for Kyle and Jackie O. I'm one of their behind-the-scenes producer-type people. I do their um, social media, their videos, their podcasts and stuff like that. But long before I ever worked for Kyle and Jackie O, I should probably explain who they are, shouldn't I? God. It's okay if you don't know who Kyle and Jackie O are. Mitchell started working for their show in March of 2018, just about 13 years after it first aired on Australian radio. Their breakfast show is the number one morning show in Australia. They're probably one of the biggest shows in the world, to be honest. Yeah. They're a big deal in Australia and beyond. Actually, this year, Kyle and Jackie O signed the biggest media deal in Australian history. They're expected to take home seven to eight million Australian dollars per year with their new contracts. In US dollars, that's closer to five million, but still, it's a lot of clams for a couple of media nerds. Weirdly enough, I also used to listen to this podcast called um, The Mindful Kind. The Mindful Kind, on the other hand, is hosted by Rachel Cable a blogger and podcaster who makes content to encourage people to live mindfully in, quote, fun, simple, and meaningful ways. So we've got a bit of a yin and yang thing happening with Mitchell. Because the Kyle and Jackie O show obviously is quite, you know, well-produced and energetic and fast-paced. And I think listening to The Mindful Kind was my first taste of real, like, podcast style of presenting, you know what I mean? Like, it was super raw and they probably only went for, like, 10 minutes each these episodes. Kyle and Jackie were like three to four hours long daily, but these mindfulness podcasts. And I would say that the host Rachel doesn't have a typical radio voice. Like she is a really great presenter and I connect really well with that style of presenting. But I remember being surprised. That was my first taste of a podcast. You know what I mean? Like it was super relaxed, super chill. You hear a different voice that you wouldn't usually hear on radio. And yeah, I was surprised at how well I was able to connect with that. So I think now I'm not afraid to be a little bit more chill because there used to be very, it used to be, the goal used to be to try and sound like a radio show. Oh, super slick and super energetic and super well produced. But yeah, I don't mind being a little bit chilled now, like a podcast. Beyond being a media junkie in general, Mitchell has always had a deep love for radio. He used to listen to the local radio station every day while growing up in his hometown of Bogan Gate. Like I'd have the little clock radio that would wake me up and I really enjoyed listening to their breakfast show. And I knew that I wanted to do something in the area of radio, not necessarily presenting because much like I just mentioned about Rachel Cable, I wouldn't say that I have a radio voice. Like you wouldn't hear a voice like mine, you know, super high pitched and lispy on radio. Like I get confused for a friggin' woman all the time. I'm not one just for the record. Um, so I knew that I wanted to play in the area of radio somehow, but it just took me a while to figure out what exactly I wanted to do, which as it turns out is the digital side of things. So like I mentioned, videos, social media and podcasts. I recently have been doing some TV bits and pieces for one of the morning shows over here called Studio 10. And that opportunity came about because of my YouTube videos, actually. So even though I said that YouTube was never something that I really loved doing because it made me feel a little bit unnatural trying to be on camera, um, it did open a lot of doors for me because um, one of the hosts of Studio 10, the morning show on Channel 10 over here, um, 
they saw one of my videos where I was just reacting to daytime TV. I had a day off. I just set up a camera. I watched morning TV, you know, Oprah, Dr. Phil, all that. And I was just commentating what I was seeing. And Studio 10 was one morning show that I commented on. And I must have said nice things about that show because this particular host, Sarah Harris, followed me. And she has followed me on Instagram for some time and must just enjoy what I do and the things I'm making because um, – yeah, the Studio 10 senior producer and executive producer reached out, wanted to have coffee, and they um, asked me if I wanted to do some reporting for them. And I couldn't believe that that came about because I was a bit of a TV and radio nerd back as a teenager when I was living in Bogengate. And I recall the day that Studio 10 launched that TV show, I <laughs> I pretended to be sick. Like I, I stayed home from school pretending to be sick just because I wanted to watch it. <laughs> and so it was weird when I was given the opportunity to do on-air presenting for Studio 10. And when I was watching it back, I was just like, ah. Oh, like young little TV nerd Mitchell back in the country literally would not believe, would not believe it if you told him that this is where he'd be living in Sydney reporting on Studio 10. So, you know, it was, it was a fun opportunity and it was nice to happen. And, and I definitely, it was one of those pinch yourself moments. Mitchell's first viral video was literally a tour of his hometown, a very, very small town in New South Wales, about six hours from Sydney. Yes, um, I suppose it's what someone in America might call the outback, right? Bogengate is in the central west of New South Wales, which is around about six hours from the coast. And according to the sign, we have a population of 200 people. But I do not believe that for a second. Unless they're including flies, I highly doubt there is that many people in this town. They grew up in a town in the middle of New South Wales, so probably seven hours west from Sydney. Um on a farm. It was in a town called Bogan Gate. Now, <laughs> people in America, that probably doesn't mean anything, the term Bogan Gate, but I think the word Bogan is kind of on par with what you would call a redneck. Like it's, it's, it's not a compliment. Do you know what I'm saying? So living in a town called Bogan Gate, it did lend itself to a bit of, you know, mockery. But yes, I grew up in a town called Bogan Gate, super tiny, super rural. Um, if you Google it, you'll find the video that I made giving a tour of my hometown, which ended up going quite viral in the end. Um, but yeah, it was called Bogan Gate. My parents were farmers. This is one of our churches. And as a matter of fact, it was actually my great grandfather. Oh my God, it's a snake. I'm not even kidding you right now. There's a freaking brown snake. What am I doing in this situation? Am I supposed to stay still? Oh my God, it's moving. Oh. Oh, that's a, li that's a lizard. That's not a snake. Well, that's less scary. Little turds going into the outhouse. Okay, so as I was saying before I nearly died, my great-great-grandfather, Mark William Coombs I, was one of the people that built this church. And now my brother is Mark William Coombs III because I'm not special enough to carry on the family name. So yes, grew up on the farm with my parents on a sheep farm. I don't think it was ever expected <laughs> when I was growing up that I was going to remain living that lifestyle. I don't think there was any part of my parents or family that was surprised when I moved away from the farm to do what I'm doing now. I don't think it was ever even discussed if I was going to stay living on the farm and continuing as a farmer. Cause let's be real. I was completely freaking useless on the farm. Like <laughs> my dad would ask for my help with 
you know, sheep work and whatever. And I was just completely hopeless. It, it, was, it was not my thing. And I don't think it'll ever be my thing, which I don't think is any surprise to my family because they, they knew that I was always interested in media. So I think it was clear that I was going to pursue that. No hard feelings from his parents when Mitchell wasn't super into carrying on the family business. They were consistently supportive of his choice to pursue a career in the city. So when he found a media course six hours away in Sydney, he told them he wanted to take it. And they were like, all right, well, I guess we're moving you to Sydney. They would just, they would just roll with the punches, which I guess um, I'm really lucky to be able to say that that was the case. Um, they were pretty patient in terms of letting me figure out what exactly I wanted, it to, wanted to do because, like I said, I knew that I wanted to do something in the area of media and specifically radio. I didn't know whether I wanted to be a journalist. I ended up pursuing the journalism thing briefly and then realising that that was a terrible idea and I would be a shit journalist because <laughs> um, that involves being informed about the news. Who cares? Um, and But, yeah, they were super supportive and it wasn't a surprise when this is what I wanted to do. So they, you don't think they ever expected you to, like, take on the family business? I don't think they ever expected me to take on the family business. It's a running joke that they won't be putting me in the will because if I inherit the farm, I'll just sell it straight away. They're like, no, nope, you'll just sell it. If we hand it over to you, you'll just get rid of the farm. And I was like, <laughs> I'm not that brutal. I, I, I didn't like I, – I could never live on the farm, but I don't hate it that much that I would just sell it. When we come back, the joys of sheep farming, gay liberty success, and coming out in the Australian outback. Oh, my coming out story. God, we're going back. Um... Not too long, actually. I'm no good at maths. Can you tell me? I'm 23 now and I came out at 18. How many years ago was that? So that would be five years. There we go. Five years ago. Um, it actually wasn't one of those um, stereotypical stories where, oh, I always knew that I was gay. I just, I was too scared to say anything. It actually was just a case of <laughs> I realised quite late on. Sorry about that banging in the background. I'm not sure what construction is happening around my apartment right now, but we'll push on. Um, so it was probably only like 17 when I realised <laughs> that I was not straight. I was literally dating girls in high school. Um, and I think it was it was one of those moments where you'd like stare at another guy, for example, and you'd think, oh, shit, he's good looking. I used to think it was just jealousy. I was like, oh, he's really good looking. I wish I looked like that. And then I realized after a while that it, it wasn't just jealousy. It was also attraction. So <laughs> that that that's really how the penny – is it penny dropped? Is that a saying? That's how I realized, I would say. Um, and I started telling people – I've told a few close friends – after my 18th birthday, so in July. And then by the time I finished school in like September, I think most people knew. So I didn't really have that experience of being out and proud in high school because I waited so long until being in high school to actually tell everyone. But one of my close friends I told when we were at a Lady Gaga concert in Sydney, the fact that my dad brought me down to Sydney for a Lady Gaga concert should have just been self-explanatory that I was going to be coming out as gay eventually. <laughs> like, I don't know. I clearly wasn't being very subtle about it. But, yeah, that's that's what happened. Um, there wasn't much pushback. I think I was way more nervous about coming out than I needed to be because I expected that it would there would be some sort of turbulence, I suppose. But there really 
there wasn't much. Like I look back and I'm not traumatized by the experience, which is a good thing. Um, there was a little bit of tension within the family with certain people who had religious beliefs that, you know, being gay kind of went against. But fast forward to now and like we're past that. So it's, it's not a problem. I'm, I'm pretty lucky in that way. So were there other LGBTQ people in Bogan Gate or do you know what I mean? Like were you the only gay in the village? There were absolutely no other LGBT people in Bogengate, to my knowledge. And when the video of me giving a home, t- uh, giving a tour of my hometown Bogengate went viral online, that was the comment that was <laughs> most popular. Everyone's commenting, oh, he's the only gay in the village, which they were absolutely correct. I still am not aware of any openly gay people that live in Bogengate. There's a few surrounding towns like Parks and Forbes nearby where I know there's a few um, – gay, queer, lesbian people, whatever you want to say. Um, But there was certainly none in my high school at the time when I came out. Well, I should say there were no openly gay people in my high school when I came out. So there weren't any other people going through what I went through at the time. So was bullying a big thing in Bogengate? Or like here, I feel like if you live in a rural place, like I'm from Arizona, from the sticks, it is kind of, I mean, there's definitely a lot of bullying and a lot of homophobia. Did you encounter that in Bogengate? It's funny because when I think about bullying and homophobia back in my hometown, I remember being really fearful that it was going to happen. So I remember being really quite reserved and really, really anxious, certainly in my earlier teenage years, so like maybe 13 to 17. Um, And this was just for fear that I would be bullied. But looking back, I don't recall ever actually being bullied. Like there was, you know, your light teasing that happens in high school. Like people mostly just made fun of me for being fat and annoying. Like it wasn't a gay thing. So, you know, I wasn't saying that I went, (laughs) I went through high school being completely never teased or mocked before, but there wasn't anything like really traumatizing to tell you the truth. I was quite lucky. People, A lot of people assume that being in a rural area and being so flamboyant that that would be something you'd be bullied about. But everyone in the country is fairly like, you know, love thy neighbor. They just get on with it. It's not really a problem. So no, I haven't experienced any bullying, to be honest, out in the country. So being queer wasn't the hardest part about growing up down under. Maybe it was actually... The sheep. I know. Well, here's the thing. It's a shit job. So I don't know. I don't know. It's, it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that no one wants to do it. Who wants to sign up for bloody sheep farming? They're insufferable. Sheep are the worst animals. <laughs> I've lost all empathy towards sheep because they're just so dumb and frustrating. If you're trying to work with them, they're just the worst. <laughs> I was really hoping to learn some cool Australian slang, but unfortunately, Mitchell couldn't think of anything to share. I told him about the term gay liberty, hoping to spark his memory, but no luck. Not that I can think of. I know what you mean by gay liberty, though, because we, I was talking to one of my colleagues the other day because um, Kyle and Jackie O, like I said, very big radio show in Australia and worldwide, and their newsreader, Brooklyn Ross, is gay, and he's like one of the only few people in Australia that's like really openly gay on air, and we were talking about the fact that No one gives a shit about who we are (laughs) most times of the day. But when we go to Oxford Street in Sydney, which is like the iconic gay strip with all the gay clubs in Sydney, um, every time we go there, that's where we get the most recognition, like me from my videos and podcasts and whatever, him from Kyle and Dacchio. But outside of that little gay bubble of Oxford Street, absolutely no one knows who we are. (laughs) Could not care less. 
So what you're saying is you're a gay liberty. I think I could possibly be. I hate labeling myself that way, but I've been told that that's the case. I don't think I'm a gay liberty, to be honest. Even if he doesn't believe he's arrived quite yet, I think Mitchell is well on his way to gay liberty status. During his YouTube and Facebook video days, he was getting millions of views. Yeah. So I used to be, for want of a better term, a YouTuber. That was what I was trying to do well at. Um, I never really loved being on camera. I still really don't. I think that's why I'm focusing mostly on podcasts and stuff because, like, I, I've got, like, high-functioning autism spectrum disorder, so <laughs> eye contact doesn't bode overly well for me. So sitting at a camera and just, like, making direct eye contact to it like a lot of YouTubers do, it just never felt natural, which is why I love doing podcasts and stuff because I can just rely on my voice to express what I'm trying to express and there's no risk of being misread because, oh, I'm fidgeting or, you know, my body language suggests that I'm uncomfortable. It's all just in the voice, which I think is awesome. So that's what I prefer doing. But when I was doing YouTube and making videos, I think I had about one viral video per year. When he was 18, he had the Bogan Gate Tour. Um, 2017 was the toenail polish video that you mentioned. Uh, we'll come back to that one. 2018 was a video that I made giving my sister baby name ideas and they were like absurd names. I was just like following her around the house being like, what about Tessellate? What about Chartreuse? Like all these absurd names. And so people were tagging their friends and that that one was one of my top performers to this day. Um, and then most recently I did a video when I was leaving the hairdressers and I'd accidentally agreed to a blow dry, which is, you know, that whatever they do with the hairdryer and the brush that makes your hair look all like silky and bouncy. I looked like one of those female newsreaders with the bob on TV. And it's because I didn't know what a blow dry meant because the hairdresser was like, do you want a blow dry? I, I took it literally and just thought they were going to dry my hair so that it wasn't wet. And then, so yes, I, I took a video straight after I left the hairdressers with my blow dry that I'd accidentally agree to. And so that's become one of my most viewed videos ever. But I think to this day, the one that still has the most amount of views is that 2017 one that you mentioned with the toenail polish. So what happened there was... I was on public transport, I was catching a bus and I'd painted my toes green and because I was wearing thongs, which is, you know, flip-flops if you're American. <laughs> um, and I think some kid on the bus from memory, he was making, he pointed out to the person that he was sitting with on the bus, oh, he's wearing toenail polish, what a, and then use the, the gay slur beginning with F, I'm not sure if it's appropriate to say it on this particular podcast. But, um, yes, he called me the F word. Um, and then I think his girlfriend ended up like clapping back saying, yeah, well, he's got nicer toenails than me. And then in the video, I just said, sucked in. I've got nicer toenails than your girlfriend. Um, which I didn't think was that funny that I was going, I, I often, if I'm in the mood to rant, I'll just whip out my mobile phone and like start talking to the camera in the heat of the moment. And that was just one of those. And for some reason, this particular one blew up and it got millions of views on Facebook. I can't remember how many exactly. It has 7.5 million views. Oh, who's my girl? You're my girl. <laughs> That's right, son. I've got better toenails than your fucking girlfriend. Go back to Bankstown. Brock, or whatever the fuck your stupid name is. I hope it turns out gay this quietly. When we come back, we'll talk more about autism, mental health, embracing okayness, and finally, we'll learn some cool Australian slang.
So I was only diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder this year and it's because there was a reality TV show over here in Australia and one of the contestants everyone was suspecting was like on the autism spectrum and I overheard people in my office talking about this particular person on the reality show. They were like, oh, he's autistic for sure. And they were like, what makes you say that? And they were rattling off all these symptoms. They were like, oh, because he doesn't like making eye contact, blah, blah, blah. I can't remember this, the exact symptoms that they were listing, but they rattled off all these things. And I was like, holy shit, I do all of those things. Could I be autistic as well? Am I on the autism spectrum? And when I went to the psychologist, I mentioned it and they were like, okay, sure, we'll go through these series of questions and tests and blah, 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 blah. And what they ended up concluding was, yeah, you're on, you've got autism spectrum disorder, which is what they used to call Asperger's, which is essentially like I'm really high functioning, but I've got a lot of the symptoms that kind of get in the way of everyday life for autistic people, I suppose. Um, and that was actually quite a relief getting diagnosed with that because – it was kind of like I made a lot more sense to myself because there were all these things that I used to think were flaws that I had. Like, oh, the fact that I'm bad with eye contact, the fact that I'm a bit socially awkward, the fact that I don't often nail social cues and body language and stuff like that. I used to think that they were character flaws, but then I was just like, oh, now I've got this diagnosis, autism spectrum disorder. So it kind of just gave myself permission to be okay with those things. And so now I don't really beat myself up about that stuff and I don't put pressure on myself to not show those traits. Do you know what I mean? Like if someone says to me, oh, you came across as really rude in that scenario, I can now say, well, I know that I'm not rude. Like I know I'm a good person, but people misread me because of whatever reason, you know, because I don't articulate my body language well and I don't read social cues well. It's It was funny because this particular psychologist, she basically diagnosed me with a resting bitch face. It was hilarious. She goes, like, sometimes your voice and the way you're – what you're trying to articulate is perfectly fine, but your face just doesn't match it. So, like, you can be really happy, but you just don't know how to express that with your facial expressions. And I was like, there we go. I've been medically diagnosed with a resting bitch face, um, which, like I mentioned, is one of the reasons that I prefer doing audio content as opposed to video content, because that layer of pressure is removed. I can just focus on my voice. Mitchell said that if he had been diagnosed as a teenager, it might not have felt like such a relief. Because there is a stigma that exists around autism. But in this day and age, when I'm not really, like, concerned about that sort of stigma, where I'm just focused on trying to get through the day, it was a massive relief. Because, like I said, I just, I made a lot more sense to myself after that. And it made me understand autism a lot more because I did a lot of research naturally about it. Um and fortunately, I am already on medication for attention deficit disorder. And they said to me, well, the, prescri- the medication we would usually prescribe for someone who's struggling with autism spectrum disorder is what you're already taking. So <laughs> that's probably why I'm already high functioning, because I'm already on the right medication, which was terribly convenient. Um, but yeah, it, it was a relief. Um, it really didn't concern me. And it, it actually, it was a bit of a weight off my shoulders that I had an answer for a lot of questions about why I do or say certain things. 
So has that affected um, relationships in terms of like dating? Yeah, totally. Um, in terms of dating, it made it explained a lot of things that might have gone wrong in past relationships and dating in terms of well things like that because so much of dating is it goes against everything that people with autism struggle with, you know, nonverbal communication. Like there's so much in that. And like I mentioned, eye contact, like that is one of the <laughs> the key things to trying to tell someone that you're attracted to them. It's just making the right amount of eye contact. So of course that's <laughs> going to be a bit of a barrier for me. Do you know what I'm saying? So, and I remember there's been a couple of times in the past, I'm going to get really over the top here. There's been a couple of times in the past when people have said to me, hey, I don't know if you picked up on this last night, but like I was trying to fuck you and you just weren't reciprocating. And I was like, oh, well, I didn't know. Like you weren't, you didn't tell me that. And so I, I've just had to start explaining to people when I'm dating them. Um, this happened quite recently with someone that I was seeing, not seeing them anymore. But I just said, can you just be as literal as possible? Like, I don't want you to, if you're trying to crack onto me, I don't want you to say things like, hey, should we close the door? Like, cause that, I'm just going to say, no, there's a nice breeze. I like the breeze. No, don't close the door. So if you're trying to crack on, you're just going to have to be super literal. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, and this particular person that I was dating was on the spectrum themselves. So we really understood each other in that way. Um, but it'll be interesting going forward, any further people that I date and I have to explain to them, listen, this is going to be a different experience to what you're used to because all the body language and those sorts of cues that you would usually use to indicate that you're attracted to someone, they might go completely unnoticed by me. And I don't want you to be offended by that. <laughs> so, yeah, I've just had to... I've just, I, I just figured that I'm going to have to explain that to people from the get go. Whether people are understanding of that when I'm dating them is remains to be seen, I suppose. Can you explain to me what crack on means? I'm an American, so I don't know. I'm stupid. Oh, <laughs> you're American. You don't know what crack on means. That means like make a move, like, you know, initiate some sort of physical or contact or whatever, you know, like, oh, flirting basically. Okay, crack on. Like see, you, see, there's you something. see someone attractive at, at the bar and oh, I'm going to go crack onto them. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it never occurred to me that you wouldn't know what cracking on is. Oh, God, I'm, I'm too Australian for my own good. Working for a morning radio show means long hours and early mornings. And as a person trying to build their career, it can be a struggle to find a healthy balance. I've always had depression and anxiety and that's, you know, made itself more known at some times than others. Um... But the start of this year, I think I was just trying to, I don't know, I was trying to learn my limits, put it that way, because I was trying to do really well at work. I was trying to do really well at the gym. I just signed up with a trainer and I um, I was still trying to do Not My Cup of Tea, um, the podcast that I used to work on. And that was a really, really time consuming show. Like we tried to make it as good as it could be. And I probably put myself under a lot of pressure to make it absolutely perfect. And like, you know, I paid a lot of attention to detail that probably no one would even notice. And so I remember just being exhausted um, around March. Oh God, I want to say March, April, this like that time of year. Um, and I ended up having a panic attack actually at work. It was 6 p.m. on a Friday night and I start work every morning for Kyle and Jackie O. It's a breakfast radio show. So I start at 5.30 every morning and I'd, I was still there at 6 p.m. on a Friday night. I was just exhausted. I was waiting for Talisha and Aislinn to show up to record Not My Cup of Tea. And yeah, I just had a panic attack and I was like, 
crying on the office floor and I ended up calling them and just being like, don't bother coming in. I'm going to hospital, which I did. (laughs) And at the time I didn't realize it was a panic attack. I thought that I had some sort of like heart problem. It later turned out to just be that and that I was working myself too hard. And, um, there's a term they use, I think it's anxiety hangover. So even in the actual panic attack moment, yeah, it feels pretty rubbish, but it's actually the days after where you feel the most rubbish. I just remember being in bed after having this panic attack because I was trying to be like really, I was trying to nail everything that I was attempting. Um, I wanted to be great at work, great at the gym, great at this podcast, great at everything. I wanted to be great at, at relationships. I was putting myself under pressure, pressure for not dating enough, whatever. And then, yeah, everything just built up and I was working myself too hard and then I had the panic attack and I was just, oh, and I was also living in Newtown at the time, which was a suburb in Sydney that was not easy for an autistic kid from the suburb, uh, from the country to live in. It was too many people like too many cars. It was difficult to park. And these things sound really trivial, but it was actually really like affecting my day. Like I was (laughs) driving around the street for 20 minutes a day, trying to find a frigging parking spot. It was just not what I'm used to, not well out of my comfort zone. I just wasn't, wasn't enjoying life at that time. So I was just in bed uh, having an anxiety hangover as they call it. And I was just like, Oh God, I'm trying so hard. And this is the result. And so, I don't know, that's when I started seeing the psychologist and then ended up being diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, like I mentioned. So, I I would say that was the lowest low, but it also, it's one of those things where I'm like, it needed to happen because it, 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 it let me reassess everything. And so, you know, I'm still trying to attempt all the things that I was attempting at that time, but I guess I've, um, I think I've, I've given myself permission to just be okay at everything. Do you know what I mean? So... Some days I might go to the gym and I don't actually do the exact amount of, you know, reps or I don't go there for as long as my trainer actually wants me to be there as per the program they've written. But I'm like, you know what? I could be at home in bed right now doing nothing. So I'm just, I'm here at the gym. I'm trying. I'm super tired. I'm going to, even if it's half ass, it's still something. Do you know what I mean? So at the end of the day, I just know that I'm trying my best. I might not be nailing it, but hey, it's better than having a panic attack on the office floor. I feel like that's good advice for everyone too. Like it's okay to be okay. It's okay to just be okay. You did an okay job. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like you don't have to nail it every time. And then when you're expecting yourself to nail it every time, you're going to end up failing in a bigger way than you would have failed before. So like, I feel like putting yourself under heats of pressure and and making yourself feel like you failed at something that, that feels like more of a failure than if you actually know what I'm trying to say is it's okay to just be okay at things. You don't have to excel at everything. And I remember at the time I was also beating myself up for <laughs> losing points on my license because I was caught speeding. You know what? I'm not a great driver, but I'm an okay driver. And I'm not the best podcast presenter, but I'm an okay one. Some people enjoy what I do. It's fine that I'm not, you know, super, that I'm not getting I'm not going super viral with my podcast. I mean, I'm very happy with the number of listens we're getting on Is It Just Me. We got 10,000 in the first month, which, which was awesome. Um, but yes, it's it really comes back to just being okay with being okay at everything. The moral of that story, give yourself a break when you need one. Give yourself permission to take it easy. Don't put so much pressure on yourself to be perfect. Take a look around and you might realize that things are actually pretty good. 
I'm pretty happy with where I'm at at the moment. Um, so I, like I mentioned, I work for the Kyle and Jackie O show at Kiss in Sydney. And I remember when I was 19 doing media studies, I made the goal of working for them by the time I was 25. And so when I got the job at 21, I was like, okay, I don't think I need to have a next step planned because <laughs> I'm allowed to be here for a little while because that was the plan. So yeah, sometimes I get stressed that I'm not thinking about what's next, but I, I like my job. I like the podcast I'm working on. Um, like I mentioned earlier, it's called Is It Just Me? You can search Is It Just Me or Couple of Mitches, one word. Um, that's where we are on socials as well. So just Couple of Mitches on Instagram. Um, I'm really enjoying that podcast that I'm working on. It's um, it's different to the old show I used to do, not my cup of tea, but very similar essence. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun working with the other Mitch. Um, so, yes, people can go check that one out. Is it just me? Um, and professionally, yeah, I'm happy with what I'm doing. I don't know. I really don't have an answer to what's next. I guess I'll just keep carrying on until I get sick of it. Fingers crossed Mitchell doesn't get sick of it because we're really into his content. My Instagram is just at Mitchell Coombs. Um, I don't know if I need to spell that. I assume my name is written somewhere in this podcast, so <laughs> you can just read it there. But it's Mitchell Coombs, one word, on Instagram. Um, I feel like if I've got the opportunity to plug, it would be a waste not to say go follow Couple of Mitches because that's, that's my baby right now. I do have my Facebook page. That's where I get the most amount of traction in terms of my videos. Um, that's where I have the most amount of followers. So if, you, if, you're, if you're on Facebook, sure, go like my page. It's Mitchell Coombs. Um, but otherwise, I'd much rather, if you're going to give me the time of day and you're going to go bother stalking me, I'd much rather you stalk my podcast, Couple of Mitches. Thanks for listening. Pride is a production of Straw Hut Media. If you like the show, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're tuning in from. Share us with your friends, subscribe, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Pride. You can follow me at Levi Chambers. Pride is produced by me, Maggie Bowles, and Ryan Tillotson. Edited by Sebastian Alcala. Special shout out to some of the towns surrounding Bogan Gate that I learned from Google Maps. Utha, Waru, Gemalong, Darubalgi, Gu Numbla, Kukamajera, and Bumbari. Hi people, you're listening to my crotch. Um, okay.